Welcome to the Train Right Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. I'm your host, Hillary Allen. Former pro cyclist, Olympian, coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur endurance athletes. Chris and his team of 50 plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for the thousands of athletes that they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the TrainRight Podcast is brought to you by Viome. Viome helps you take control of your health so you can improve your energy, inflammation, and immune system health. Viome's award-winning at-home test measure your cellular, mitochondrial, and microbiome health, giving you powerful insights with over 30 health scores. Then they help nourish you by providing precise whole food and supplement recommendations based on your unique biology at a molecular level. And finally, watch your health scores improve over time by subscribing to your precision supplements, following your food recommendations, and retesting. Viome has partnered with the Mayo Clinic, United Health Group, GSK, and others, and is used by Olympic gold medalists and elite professional athletes. Go to Viome.com and learn how you can get your unique insights for better health and wellness. Use the promo code TRAINRIGHT, all caps, at checkout, to save $10 on your first purchase. Hello, and welcome to the Train Right Podcast. Today's guest, we have Corinne Malcolm. Corinne Malcolm is a professional ultra runner for Adidas Terex. She's a coach, an exercise physiologist, and a science writer. Since starting ultra running in 2016, Corinne has finished in the top 10 at Western States twice, fourth in TDS at UTMB, and most recently, she set the women's supported FKT on the 171-mile Tahoe Rim Trail in a time of 44 hours and 51 minutes. Corinne struggled to write this intro because she thinks her affinity for cheese is far more interesting than running around in the woods. <laughs> when she's not running for frank or frankly eating cheese, Corinne enjoys exploring outside on her bike or skis, hanging out with her dog, Petey, and making a mean pie. Hi, Corinne. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for reading my really, really awesome introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. It's it's so you. So, <laughs> um, so I'm super excited to chat with you because, I mean, we're friends and, um, well, you're also a coach with CTS, so we have a lot in common in that way. But um, you recently just crushed a super awesome Fastest Known Time on the Tahoe Rim Trail and um, yeah, I'd like to kind of dedicate this episode to talking about what it takes to run a 100 plus mile effort. Um, so from there, I mean, let's dive in because this record, tell me about it. It's been it's been around for how, how many years? And it was set by Chrissy Mole. Yeah. So the Tahoe Rim Trail Supported Women's Time has been around since 2015, when Chrissy Mowell was the first woman to go under 48 hours, which was pretty huge at that point in time. I think it was the second or third fastest overall. 
Um, so it was a pretty big accomplishment when Chrissy said it. Yeah. Since then, the men's time has been lowered. Um, it, the Tahoe Rim Trail got a ton of attention this summer with mm-hmm. women's um, unsupported time being broken, the men's unsupported time being broken, and the men's supported time being broken. And then finally, mm-hmm. with me, um, just a couple weeks ago, <laughs> breaking the women's supported time, we have reset the record books on the Tahoe Rim Trail in 2020. Yeah. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but your time is the fourth fastest um, supported record time. It's the fourth fastest all time. The all time. Yeah. Even supported and unsupported. Yeah. So the men's there, the the gentleman, Jamie Curtin, who broke gentleman, that seems very proper. Um, <laughs> Jamie set the men's unsupported record this summer on the TRT. And at one point he was ahead of Killian's supported time and he faded a little bit. And so he set a blistering pace mm-hmm. um, for an unsupported time in July, which was mm-hmm. kind of bonkers and mind blowing. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's mine with his time included in there is the fourth fastest. Oh my gosh. I love that. I mean, so fastest woman, obviously. And then <laughs> the fourth fastest time overall, that's like super impressive. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, we actually shared the same coach, Adam St. Pierre, and he's always telling me that, you know, like, you know, women can, the longer, the longer that the distance is, the kind of closer we get to the men. So I love seeing this in action. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's probably a, a couple more hours to be taken out of the women's Mm-hmm. FKT time on there right now it's um I think we're I think I was eight hours slower than Adam Kimball's time on the okay. trail and so I think it, I think that can come down a little bit more he ran an amazing run I mean he broke Killian Jornet's record by yeah. like 80 minutes or something which is pretty pretty impressive yeah. um and he's actually local to the area and he came out actually to kind of emotionally support my crew it was pretty fun to <laughs> see him out there in the middle of the night um, oh and, my gosh. That's awesome. So I guess, so tell me, where did, where did you get the idea from? Um, and I mean, with that, like the desire to run farther than 100 miles. Yeah. So there are a couple of factors in like in play there. I, the TRT has been on my radar for a couple of years now, yeah. um, kind of shortly after Chrissy said it, um, mm-hmm. I've, I've looked up and admired Chrissy for a very long time. Um, you know, kind of having a, a different entry into the sport, getting to see, I mean, she came in at a pretty young age, particularly Mm -hmm. at that time of ultra running. Um, she was like unusually young to be in the sport. She's got the grand, like the youngest ever grand slam finisher, um, so I thought Mm -hmm. that was like, I noticed that when I was coming into ultra running, um, cause Mm -hmm. I was. I started ultra running when I was 26 and that was the, the, that is how old Chrissy was when she was the youngest ever grand slam finisher. So kind of mind blowing. Um, so I've been following, I've been following her and following, um, just kind of what she was up to. So saw the record there and then had the great privilege, um, to help crew Magda, um, her FKT attempt on it last fall, basically a year before I went and ran my own attempt on it Mm -hmm. um, and watched her, you know, grit her way through a hard day, you know, started out ahead. Well, hard two days started out ahead, kind of low fade. There's a lot of walking involved, um, which I think people (laughs) underestimate. And so um, got to be a part of that crew last year and paced her for a little over 40 miles of her attempt. Um, 
And actually it was on my radar for this season, independent of COVID. It was kind of a thing that I was thinking about doing at the end of my season, um, assuming we had a weather window. Yep. I guess the other part too, is that I've got a lot of, I've had a lot of athletes who run crazy long races, um, (laughs) you know, who train for, you know, the, like the, like races in the Yukon that are, you know, 200 plus miles long and the, you know, Moab 240 and Bigfoot Mm -hmm. 200. And these races, I've got an athlete doing a race, um, called California Untamed. He was supposed to do it this year, but we'll do it next year, which is 330 miles in California. So although I hadn't run further than 102 miles, I've Mm -hmm. been working with athletes training for these mega long events. And so, you know, seeing these athletes go out there and put together, you know, 60 hours of running and hiking um, makes it seem much more approachable, I think, as well. Yeah. And so that actually leads me to my next question. So, I mean, obviously you have experience coaching uh, other runners to run these super long distances. Would you say um, that it's necessary to have an experience or kind of a comfort with running 100 miles, running a 100 mile event or um, 100 mile race um, before you start kind of attempting bigger distances? I think there's a natural progression there. Um, you learn a lot every time you take a step up in distance, right? If you go from 50 miles to 100 miles, like that's that's a big jump. And it's um, it's one that, you know, you kind of only get to make once to, <laughs> to experience that big change. Um, so I do think, and, you know, you get comfortable running 100-mile races. You know, you're using a 50-mile race as a training run in a lot of ways, right? Ostensibly. And so I think the same can be said for kind of these ultra, ultra long distances, the hundred plus mile um, adventure runs or races where, um, you know, all of a sudden you can use a hundred mile race in the buildup to that, which (laughs) is kind of wild to think about. But I think there's, you know, some logic of having to be out there for that long, to be on your feet for that long. You know, maybe it's not, super close to your event. But I think having to do that in the year leading up to your big adventure is important because it allows you to work through things that you might not be able to work through in training otherwise. Yeah. And so, so for you, I mean, can you tell us about your background with 100 mile races specifically? Yeah. So I started running ultras in 2016 in part because I had done about a year of trail running um, prior to that. I come from a Nordic ski background. So we, you know, we spend our summers and falls training in the mountains going on long runs. So very natural transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad kind of encouraged me to run longer. He thought that I would be better if I ran longer, um, <laughs> which is kind of a very dad thing to say. <laughs> so um, we were moving from Montana to the Pacific Northwest um, for Steven, my partner, to train on the mountain bike more efficiently and for myself to go to graduate school. And Um, you know, all of a sudden I was looking at the ability to run year round, you know, there wasn't going to be snow. There wasn't going to be the season, like the seasonal shift to another sport, um, which I do still crave. I crave seasonality, but it also opened up this window where I was going to be a time crunch graduate student running through a very wet Pacific Northwest winter. And so (laughs) having something kind of big and scary to train for seemed like a really great idea. And Gorge 100K happened to be on my 26th birthday. So getting to run 62 miles on my 26th birthday was pretty awesome. Um, And that was my intro into ultra running. And then the following year, 
2017, I got into Leadville. And yeah. that was going to be my first 100. I'd actually, I found out that I got into CCC, um, one of the UTMB races and Leadville. I found out like within a couple days of each other. Mm. And if you know my running style, you would think <laughs> that I would want to go do CCC. Yeah. But <laughs> I like heard that I was getting into Leadville and I was so much more excited about that. Yeah. Even though it like, you know, is a very runnable course. It's, I was living at sea level and it was at altitude. Like that made me so much more excited than the yeah. idea of going to Europe to race CCC, which now I think is kind of funny. But um, <laughs> so I did Leadville in 2017 um, and had a qualifier for the Western States lottery then. And so put in for the Western States lottery um, for the second time, I guess, and got drawn on the wait list. So all of a sudden I went from running Leadville to being on the Western States wait list and then getting to run Western States in 2018, finishing in the top 10, running it again in 2019, mm-hmm. finishing in the top 10, and then electing to not run it this year because I <laughs> wanted to do other things. <laughs> Lo and behold, 2020 kind of canceled everything. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, kind of my... It's so funny because, I mean, like you say, I mean, I think you and I also have a similar running style. We like like the mountains. We like the steep elevation gain. And then you're like doing these hundreds that are like super runnable. <laughs> yeah, like why? Why did I run Leadville in Western States? No one knows. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you did pretty well. So <laughs> I think it makes sense. It's okay. I mean, this is, I mean, this, this goes to show that like mountain running is transferable to speed. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, coming from a ski background, I am very comfortable running very slowly, um, which probably, you know, serves, serves me well when it comes to being in the mountains all day, because I, I do have a a slower pace that I feel very comfortable in as opposed to like a very high running pace. Um, but doing Leadville and doing Western States was actually a really good learning experience for me to have to run flat, to have to train on like runnable terrain, um, and work on my like running economy and just becoming more efficient because otherwise you put me out on the trails and I like naturally want to run 10 minute miles all the time. Oh, um, yeah. And so it's like low aerobic, you know, easy movement. <laughs> it was good. It was good for me, but I am so excited to have graduated from that phase of my training and getting to do like slower, big mountain things now. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, so this actually, this is perfect segue into like, how did you actually prepare and train for the Tahoe Room Trail? Like, was it, I guess, kind of just like walk me through it. Was it, was it different than how you would approach a hundred mile training, you know, um, training block? Yeah. So it was kind of, it was interesting. So this was supposed to be like tacked onto the end of the season. You know, I was supposed to do um, TDS this year at UTMB. Um, So there was kind of going to be a natural training block that would have led me to, you know, TRT fitness as well. Just, you know, long mountain days. Um, but that was kind of thwarted. Um, and so we kind of shifted to just, and we like, didn't feel comfortable traveling. Um, we did go to see yeah. family in Washington in June, um, kind of in like the safest manner possible. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I was training in San Francisco a lot. And so that led to um, an Everesting project. And I ended up choosing the least efficient Everesting route possible um, Everesting being where you go up and down the same hill over and over again until you climb 29,029 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I chose Mount Tam oh in our backyard. And there's a route up Mount Tam, like the traditional Tam Hill climb from town, which is a little over three miles to the top. And it gains 
like just about 25,000 feet mm-hmm. or 2,500, not 25,000. 20, uh... <laughs> wow, one lap. So I had to do so 12, 12 laps um, and it was almost 30,000 feet total going up and down the same route. And so I did that in July, end of July. So that was an 80 mile effort with almost 30,000 feet of climbing. So TRT mm-hmm. is, you know, a hundred more miles with um, no more climbing. So I felt like that was a good long day on my feet. And yeah. we also had some kind of, we, we, that rolled into fire season for us, which is also like threw a, a wrench into a lot of plans. Oh yeah. Just dealing with smoke. But I had a couple weekends where I was able to go up to Tahoe um, and put in some like big days on the Tahoe Rim Trail itself just to see the sections that I hadn't seen yet. So I did like a, I did a 40 mile day and a 20 mile day. Um, so just kind of stacking some of that. I did two weekends like that, um, which was great. And I think, you know, what I have a lot of athletes do and what I would have done in maybe a more normal year um, with more travel capabilities would be doing a little bit more fast packing. Um, so going out and doing, um, you know, a 60 to 80 mile, like two day, mm-hmm. um, you know, carrying a light setup, you know, eating cold food but carrying a, you know, a little sleep setup and going out just so that you're, you know, that's not really training for sleep deprivation. That's not really, you know, necessarily super specific to a supported FKT where you're not going to be carrying as much weight, but it's just really good trail time. And so for my athletes who are doing like Moab 240, um, mm-hmm. or Bigfoot where they're going to be carrying a sleep setup potentially and some more safety equipment, cause they're out there on their own. Um, that those fast packing weekends, I feel like are super specific and are really practical. Um, so I wish I'd gotten the opportunity to do some of that. I did one fast packing trip the weekend before TRT. So I don't think it had any influence on the actual outcome. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah, cause I was going to ask is like, what do you think is most important to help an athlete prepare for? Is it, is it like training for the sleep deprivation or training for kind of having a strategy for how you manage sleep out on the trail? Or is it kind of how you manage food for kind of longer efforts or all day, all day moving efforts when you're not necessarily eating like a meal, but you're kind of a, like, you know, doing, um, I mean, yeah, like what, what, like your nutrition plan for me, it's like, I would use like rice cakes or, um, little scratch gummies or stuff like this supplemented with some like real food. Um, but yeah, do you think that those like kind of longer trail times is, is better to manage the mental aspect or the actual kind of like strategy for, for quote unquote race day? I think it's a little bit of all those things. Like (laughs) it's, I think like, that's why I send athletes out to fast pack because they need to be comfortable sleeping by themselves overnight on the trail and sleeping, you know, from like midnight to 4am or 5am, you're not getting a lot of sleep out there for racers who are doing, you know, 60 plus hour event. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually didn't sleep at all during my FKT. Um, what? Yeah. Went straight through. Wait, Corinne, how is this possible? Because like I've heard so many different strategies of, you know, sleeping for 20 minutes at a time, like uh, every few hours and then doing like a longer sleep cycle. Like, so really? I, th- I think if you're going for over 48 hours or, or closer to over 60 hours, that stuff becomes much more important. If you're going to be if you're going to be done within that 48 hour window, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people can push through that. Um, and so I took advantage of that. And I knew I knew on the second day that there was a chance that I was going to need a trail nap. 
Um, and mm-hmm. I told my crew like, Hey, if I need a trail nap, like we're going to set a timer for 15 minutes and you're going to wake me up. Like you're going to let me lay there and you're going to wake me up. Um, but I never needed one. We just kind of kept moving the whole time. Um, and I didn't take in copious amounts of caffeine. It just, it, I never got a case of the sleepies. Um, I had some really fun visual hallucinations, but I never got a case where I was like, I really need to like, I need to close my eyes. I need to like lay down. Um, but I think practicing for most 200, most people running 200 plus mile races are going to be over 60 hours. And so for them, I think practicing, um, sleeping out on the trail by yourself, because it can be a spooky experience is really important. I think you really want to be comfortable, um, feeling safe, feeling confident in your little sleep setup, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that this, like, you know, if you're going under 48 hours or if you're going over 60 hours, I think in the, you know, the two weeks leading up to the race, um, there's been some good research on sleep banking, which just Mm -hmm. means like trying to get as much sleep as possible Mm -hmm. in the, in that time leading up can be helpful, um, for the event itself, just having extra sleep in the bank. So maybe if you normally sleep seven hours, trying to get nine hours, um, just trying to go to bed a little bit earlier and trying to stay in bed as long as possible, which can be hard if you have a puppy or children or, you know, work, you know, a job that requires you to be up at a certain time. Um, yeah. definitely a little bit, you know, can be difficult. Um, so I definitely like did not go on some early morning runs with friends and that kind of stuff in the, yeah in the you know time leading up to it because I wanted the sleep. But I was also in a weird position where I set four different dates for this. Yeah. Um, I was gonna ask you about that. <laughs> I um I joked that I was incredibly well tapered <laughs> because my initial date was the 29th of August and yeah. that got smoked out. Mm-hmm. And then my next date was the eleventh of September. Mm-hmm. And that got, the forests were closed. So it could not <laughs> run. Um, and then I was going to go unsupported with my really good friend, Devin Yanko on the 7th of October during the full moon. And that got smoked out. Um, and then, um, I went, um, I, we like realized we had this window coming, like clearing. And so all of a sudden, you know, on Tuesday afternoon, we decided that I could start on Sunday. So it was like you know, four or five days notice and getting the, getting a small crew together. I had planned to have two pacers for every section so that I wouldn't have to stop to get stuff out of their bag. They'd be able to carry everything for me, you know, minus like me being able to put a water bottle on myself. Um, and so that got pared down to one, basically one pacer for every section, except for the desolation where I had both my roommates, um, Mm -hmm. out there with me. Uh, which is good because that's a very, very long section. And it was very <laughs> in the, it was from mile 122 to 156. So it was good to have them both out there. Yeah. Um, but so there's lots of different strategies that are important. And it's important to, you know, practice eating different things because it's yeah. not, I actually ate not too differently than I normally would in a hundred. Um, I relied primarily on sports, sports nutrition products. Um you know, I was using a combination of actually, so products from Goo, um, mm-hmm. the, their new liquid gels are really easy for me to eat, but also like I utilize the spring oatmeal. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, the spring energy oatmeal packs. They're like 300 mm. calories and they taste so good. Yeah. Um, so I ate a ton of those, but I also <laughs> had like Snickers bars with me and I had ramen at my aid station, like my crew stops. Yeah. And I had a bunch of liquid or not liquid. I had a bunch of um, mashed potatoes, like instant mashed potatoes when I saw my crew. 
And then they were also mixing um, bottles of uh, Guroctane recovery drink. Mm. And half of those were mixed with like a Oatly coffee, like it's like to go product. Nice. Um, So I was getting some caffeine there. So I was, you know, a little bit different. I, I do drink some recovery drink during hundreds, generally speaking. Um, Mm -hmm. When I, when I've got a good crew stop, um, taking a bottle of that, cause just different, different taste, different calorie coming in a little bit more satiating cause it's got some protein. Um, So I did that, you know, every 20 miles, essentially when I saw my crew, I'd get a, like a bottle of recovery drink mixed to go. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, um, it was pretty similar to how I eat during a hundred, but a little bit different in the sense that like, um, I was taking in more recovery product and also just like some other more, like I saw my crew a bunch. So I got to have a bunch of instant mashed potatoes, um, (laughs) But eating got really hard because it was so dusty that my throat hurt really, really badly. Oh. Um, so towards the end, I was also just like sticking gummy candies like in my cheek, <laughs> and on them until they would like dissolve to keep oh, my blood sugar up because yep. I was like kind of crashing. Yep. And uh, I I did that so much that I actually had like little sores on my tongue. Um, oh, my. Afterwards, but tongues heal really quickly, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah. I mean, so I think like what I hear you saying is just it's important to be able to practice this in real time. So, I mean, you've had experience from 100 mile races of like what you know works for you. And so it's either important to have obviously like a designated either race to practice this or like training runs to be able to practice these strategies, whether it's sleeping or eating. Um, but I mean, for you, like, do you think the fact that you were kind of like faked out several times, <laughs> like, several times before like attempting this uh fkt that it helped you like you that you weren't like tired or kind of overtrained going going into it do you think that you would have maybe done too much or been more tired if you hadn't kind of had to like be like overly tapered i guess like yeah i think i was physically pre like prepared really well like I was very well rested. Um, mm-hmm. My training, my training during that time period was kind of funky and all over the place because I was mm-hmm. like, "Is it the off season? Is it not the off season? Like, what am I doing?" <laughs> yeah. um, I love off season, so I like was kind of like, "The wind is out of my sails. I'm done. I'm pulling the plug. Yeah. Um, I am taking a break." Mm-hmm. And so I was definitely not overtrained going into <laughs> it, but I think so. Physically, my body was in a really good spot. Yeah, which ultimately, you know, was very beneficial. Mm-hmm. But my mentally, it was really hard to like have the wind taken out of my sails. I mean, all of 2020, right? Like every yeah. single race cancellation, um, you know, we had to postpone our wedding, like all sorts of craziness Yeah, um, this year. And so this, you know, I was like, I felt like I had constructed this super safe, satisfying adventure for myself and to have it canceled by, you know, the effects of climate change and yeah. um, raging a, a very, very early start to our fire season here in California. Yeah. Um, that was mentally really hard to like, you know, keep stepping up to the plate. And so right. I think that was, that was a struggle. Um, so it was kind of, you know, a blessing in disguise maybe that I was so well rested um, mm-hmm. because mentally going into it, I was like, Oh, what do I do? But honestly, what really helped, what really, really helped was um, my teammate, Abby Hall, um, went out on the JMT and had, you know, kind of a solo vision quest on an unsupported JMT attempt. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and Jess missed it. And I thought it was really cool. And then they put together a great video and just like listening to her talk about like her experience out there. I was like, I really want my own vision quest. Like how, <laughs> how can I, I can still do this. Right. And so yeah. that was actually like seeing other people get to adventure, like fired me up just enough, you know, to see Megan Hicks and Sabrina Stanley go kind of back and forth on Nolan. Yeah. Like, that stuff fires me up and gets me excited. And so it felt so good to attempt it. But my mindset going into it wasn't, you know, initially my mindset was like, we're taking Chrissy's record. Like I am going <laughs> for this thing. Like very much like, you know, Adam's initial splits for me had me like five minutes behind her record. And I was like, Adam, why am I running this then? Um, like I want to That's beat awesome. And so my initial like mindset going into my first attempt was like that, like we are taking this record. Yeah. You know, fast forward to it being canceled three times. And my mindset going into it was I want to complete the TRT. Yeah. Which is like probably more indicative of my natural tendencies yeah. when it comes to big challenges is like, mm -hmm. I need to go do what's best for me, not necessarily results oriented. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe that was a blessing too, to go into it being like, I'm going to go run my best. And if like we get the record, awesome. But my, my main goal is just to like get this thing done. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was a blessing in disguise too, to have reset my, like my mind frame going into it with that yeah. as well. But, you know, I put together really conservative splits for my crew, like five minutes under Chrissy's record. Like there we go. I was like, we're going to take it by five, four and a half minutes or something. <laughs> um, so. It was pleasantly surprising to be ahead. I knew we were going to be ahead early, but I didn't know that we were going to hold yeah. like that much ahead for the entire thing. And can you remind me, I mean, you, Chrissy was the first to go under 48, obviously. And her, the previous record was 46, I believe. Her oh, record was 47.29. 47.29. So you took a, like 44 minutes, 51, 44 hours, 51 minutes. Yeah. So I took so. two hours and like 36 minutes or something off the record. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I was talking about it like with Adam. So obviously Adam's our same coach, but I was just like, man, I'm so impressed with you because I mean, I, I know mentally speaking, like to do these big events, you have to like hype yourself up and like get psyched to do it. And so to have it be kind of postponed th on three separate occasions, like to be able to just be focused to even start it and then continue to push through like even when you hit highs and lows throughout the entire event like that I think to me regardless of the impressive time I feel like the mental the mental things that you had to tackle and continue to tackle on this attempt or just it's it's just so impressive and I mean yeah like how did you how did you keep going like did you experience a lot of lows I still cannot believe that you didn't sleep <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, so it's interesting and this has always been how I am and I don't understand it and I don't know if there's a way to fix it, but I, when I pin a race bib on and this, you know, although I was not wearing a bib, you know, in very, like very much was like pinning a race bib on, um, mm -hmm. I can handle all of the little things that go wrong so well. Um, I think, you know, this was kind of ingrained in me when I used to do biathlon. So shooting and skiing, I was kind of in, you know, re like, you know, reiterated over and over again, like you can't control the things that you can't control. Um, 
you know, you can't control when you come into the shooting range and it's really windy. Like that's, you can't control the wind. I'm sorry. And so I think that is a mentality that I've brought into ultra running with me is like, I can only control the things that I can control. Like I can control what I eat for dinner. I can control what time I go to bed at night. Mm -hmm. I can control, you know, continuing to feed and drink and all that kind of stuff. So like my attempt was not perfect. Like I beat my crew to the 41 mile mark. Like they were not there when I got there. Uh, like, and luckily they were only five minutes out or 10 minutes out or something, but it's like, you know, and, and I left and the boys were like, oh my goodness. Like, oh, Corinne wasn't angry. Like, that's good. And Devin who had just paced me for 41 miles was like, oh, just you wait. If she misses this record by 10 minutes, I don't think she's going to be very happy with you. So, um, but that's just how I am when I race. Like I'm really like, I'm really compliant. I joke that I'm like a compliant three-year-old. Like you tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I'm not that way in normal life at all. Like I struggle to like adapt to like things that I can't control, which is insane that I pin a race bib on. And I'm like, I am in complete control right now. Dude, um, this is the exact same thing for me. Like I hate uncertainty. I hate it. But then exactly when you're on, when you're in a race and something to do with like just your constant forward motion, like you feel like you're in control. And even if like shit hits the fan, like it's, it's, it's okay. Like, yeah. 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 You have a mission. And like my, like, so it's like, I, I, my crew is late getting to mile 41. And then at mile like 52, I like projectile vomited. And then like, I lost Patty for a while. Cause like we, we separated so he could go filter water. And then he thought that I like, and I was like, I'm just going to go continue up the trail. Like, so that I don't waste time. Yeah. And he like, realized when I left him, he's like, Oh no, I don't know if she has a headlamp and it was getting close to like sunset. And so he like tried to come find me and couldn't find me. And so he sprinted back to get water. And then he like sprinted up the trail to try to find me again. And so I was on my own for like six miles or something. And it did get dark, but I had a headlamp on me and I had gloves and I just like (laughs) kept, you know, and I had half, you know, half a soft flask of fluid. And I was like, well, I'll just keep going until I get to my crew, you know, like, hopefully patty didn't die like he didn't fall yeah. in the well or get eaten by a bear like he has no thought tracker hopefully it's fine so patty, come on <laughs> I love patty. and patty like called my crew panicked thinking that he had misplaced me um oh and truthfully i was just like walking up the train you know running up the trail and then um <laughs> the new pacer and he stopped to filter water at one point and i kept going and then my headlamp did die so I had to like stand in the cold by myself for like 10 minutes with a, you know, in the dark waiting for him to catch back up to me. And then, oh. yeah, so it's just kind of like this, like, you know, this weird, you know, it was not perfect by any means. Yeah. It felt like I could handle it all, which is pretty cool. Oh man. I love that because I think like half of the things for, I mean, ultra running any distance, it is a matter of problem solving. And I mean, you were a scientist. I'm a scientist. Like that's kind of one of my favorite things about about running and running in the mountains in particular because like nothing ever goes to plan. Like no, and no never. That's, like, that's kind of the fun thing about it because uh, you get to just problem solve as as they come. And it's like I feel it's like those little like accomplishments. That you're like, okay, I figured this out. Like I can I can keep going. I can go like, you know, how to meet my next crew. Um, or I mean, I just feel like every little thing problem that you solve, it gives you a little bit more energy. Um, 
But still, I'm going to have to call Patty, man. He's my teammate. And, like, come on. He's got to, like, do better than that. At... <laughs> no, but it, was, it, also, it was so cool to, like, watch uh, watch the whole community. Like, every little city has their own little community of runners. But the San Francisco, like, the Bay Area has a really unique and, like, tight-knit community. So it was really cool to be able to watch, um, like, virtually, like, kind of follow your your supported effort and, you know, see my friends, like, running with you and – like it was, it was so cool. Yeah, it was, it was an awesome, like for things not going perfectly, it, you know, in a lot of ways, which see, this is going to sound crazy and people are going to be like, oh, Corinne's such a dick, but it felt, it felt easy. It felt, you know, like I had had runs in the weeks going up to that where like running eight miles felt really hard. And we like, <laughs> you know, blasted through 41 miles, really like in quotes, very easily. Um <laughs> And so I don't know what it like, I don't know what it is about going out and doing these big attempts for me, but I just like, I feel really at home doing it. Like I'm a very fast walker. Maybe that's what it's like. Maybe that's advantageous, but you know, it was, I, I, yeah, I sound like a dick saying that it went like that. It was easy, but it, I just, I had a really good, you know, two days of, not having to have any responsibilities, not having to like have my phone or my email and just like getting to like do this thing felt, you know, in 2020 felt so good. Oh man. I mean, one of the things um, that I was so impressed with too is like watching you come to the finish line. I was like, holy crap. She looks like she's moving really well. Like she doesn't look like wrecked at all. Um, And so, I mean, I don't think you're a dick. I think it's it's a testament to how, like, mentally and physically strong you are. So, um, that's awesome. But then do you – so, do you have any more of these kind of longer 100-plus mile events on – kind of in the back of your mind? Any projects or races? Um, I don't know right now. I mean, ultimately, like, I would love to do, like, TDG in oh, Europe yeah. and that kind of stuff. I kind of joke oh. with that. That's my retirement plan. I'm just going to go Dude, long and slow. That's my retirement plan. Let's do it. <laughs> We're going to retire together. It's going to be bliss. Um, so nothing like on the horizon right now imminently. Like I still don't know what 2021 is going to look like. Right. Racing and, um, you know, personal project type of things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are some other FKTs that I think are really interesting in the sense that, you know, they are very long, but they're generally tackled in a way where, you know, you run maybe a hundred K a day, which is not easy. That might be harder than running straight for 44 hours. Um, (laughs) Turns out it does not get easier. Like sleep is great, but it does not get easier to go run again. So there's things like, you know, the Washington or Oregon section of the PCT or um, the superior hiking trail in Minnesota. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin. So it's like those kind of things I think are really appealing, but they're, they're still very different than, running straight. So it'd be a different challenge, but still, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of miles, 300 to 500 miles, which seems, I don't know, that seems far. <laughs> yeah, that seems far. Oh my gosh. Um, but I guess like, so, so to kind of wrap up into, I have one final question for you. Okay. Um, so what's your best advice for someone who's thinking of doing and who wants to train for a 100 mile plus event? Okay. So this is kind of my advice 
to anyone to like, you know, racing who wants to, who wants to take a step up in distance, be it from, you know, a marathon to ultras or Mm -hmm. from, you know, a hundred miles to something further and scarier seeming is Mm -hmm. to just not count yourself out to know that, like, I think that part of the reason why I go into these crazy, you know, seemingly crazy things is that I just have this total, you know, misconception of, or like misunderstanding of my own limitations. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've always been that way. Like, Oh, why can't I get a PhD? Oh, why can't I go run very far? Yeah. Um, I think that you can, you can like not count yourself out. You can believe that, you know, it's going to be hard and you're going to put work in, but you can do that. Like you can, you can run further if you want to run further. If there's something that you're excited about, like you can, you can make it happen. Um, and so I think that if you, particularly if you, if you have not yet run a hundred, I would encourage you to do, to do that, like kind of as a prep prep phase, but in general, it's, you know, keep dreaming, like dream, dream bigger. Like if there's something that excites you, be it a link up or a route in your backyard or the TRT or something, you know, akin to that, the, like the Cocopelli trail or the Arizona trail, all these really cool long things. Like there's no reason that you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what my, like my advice is. There's no reason why you can't do it. So if there's something that you want to do, go for it. You know, it's going to be hard work. You're going to have to do the training. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to go get to spend lots of time outside, but mm-hmm. there's no reason why you can't do that. It's not, it's not crazy. It's not insane. Um, it's totally possible. Oh man. I love that. You're inspiring me too bad. It's like winter now, but (laughs) it's good for for planning. So (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that, doing that now, but I love that to dream bigger and don't couch yourself out because I feel like yeah, that mentality is, I feel like what got you through all like solving all those problems when things didn't go perfectly. And yeah, it's just really cool to see that attitude and um, you able to crush something as big as the TRT. So, well, yay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Corinne. Thanks so much for, you know, taking the time and telling us about your hundred plus plus mile adventure. Thanks. It's been, I mean, I will always talk to you, but it's a pleasure to get other, to have other people listen to us talk. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Well, so with that, I mean, maybe we're going to have Corinne on in the future again. So, you know, start planning for the next one. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast. You can find social links and more information from our guests, And you can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. You can leave us a rating on iTunes there too. Hope you guys tune in next week.